This morning, we're going to be continuing our look at the book of Proverbs. And uh, as we look at Proverbs, uh, we've been going through it chapter by chapter, section by section. And um, in doing so, um, we've been covering a variety of topics as they come up. And when you look at the early chapters of the book of Proverbs, you have some very defined topics that are spoken of, almost taking up the entire chapter, or at least half of it. And now as we continue our study of Proverbs, what you're going to gradually notice as we work our way through the book is that a variety of things start to be discussed in particular chapters. So you'll have many topics eventually coming up in one particular chapter, and you can see we're gradually working our way toward that, uh, even in the portion of Scripture that we're going to be focusing on today. So today we're in Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first 19 verses of that chapter, and we're going to be talking about the fact that your conscience will impact the quality of your life. And so before we take a look at that, I'm going to have a word of prayer for us, and then, and then we'll look at it a, a portion at a time. But again, we're in Proverbs chapter 6, starting with verse 1, but let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of your word together today. And Lord, as we think about this idea of developing a sensitive conscience to your will and to your plan and to your leading, and a desire within us that you foster to be obedient to just all aspects of what it means to be your followers, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage that mindset and that practice as we look at this portion of your word today. We're grateful for the privilege to be able to carve out some time right at the start of our week to be able to do so. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd speak to us now. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of quick questions as we prepare to, to, to dig into this portion of Scripture today. And by the way, I'm, we're going to be taking it just a kind of like a paragraph at a time today and working our way through the first 19 verses of Proverbs chapter 6. But I just want to ask just a couple introductory questions because I want you to be thinking about something in particular. And the first question is this, what motivates the decisions that you make? Just kind of have that floating around in the back of your mind. What motivates the decisions that you, that you make. Follow-up to that is this. Why do you conduct yourself the way you do, and why is your life the way it is? So why do you conduct yourself the way you do? Why is your life the way that it is? So again, be thinking about those things as we prepare to look at this, but I just want to share a little something about um, a conversation that I just had. So just this past week, I was having a conversation with a good friend and he was telling me about some of the difficult things that he's been going through lately, including some medical problems. So he's kind of had a variety of things on his plate. And I'm sure most of us can attest to this. When, whenever you have medical issues of any kind, uh, everyone offers you advice, right? Everybody has advice that they offer you when you're dealing with any sort of medical issue, whether it be something small or whether it be something large. If they have something similar that ever happened to them, or if they know someone similar, or if they once saw on TV something similar, they offer that counsel and they offer that advice to you. And so we were talking about some of uh, the medical things that he's been wrestling with lately, and he was telling me that some of the advice that he had received actually troubled him. It wasn't good advice as far as he was concerned. It actually troubled him. And the way he phrased it, he said, I know they were trying to be helpful, but my conscience just won't let me take that suggestion. So I'm not going to go into the details of what the suggestion was or even what the medical need is. 
All I want to focus on is what he said related to his conscience, because I really appreciated what he was saying. He said, my conscience won't allow me to take that suggestion. And I have to admit that part of the reason I have great respect for this friend is because he's shown me over time that he is a man of strong conscience. It's one of the things that I appreciate most about him, that his conscience is not seared, that his conscience is not being ignored. He listens to his conscience as the Lord speaks to him. And I'll also say this, he has a high quality of life because he makes a point not to violate his conscience. And this was yet another example of that. Now, related to you and I in in our day-to-day context, we're all making quality of life decisions on a day-to-day basis. And when we compare our decisions to the counsel we're about to read from Proverbs chapter 6, I think we can clearly see that our quality of, of life is going to be directly impacted by the sensitivity of our conscience and by the willingness that we have to obey the Lord's counsel. That's one of the umbrella themes that I see over this first uh, portion of Proverbs chapter 6. So look with me, if you would, as we work our way through this portion of the chapter. And uh, I have a variety of questions and different things that I want to point out to us, but the first question is this as I prepare to read the first five verses, and that's this. How long will you choose to remain ensnared? So we're talking about this idea of our conscience impacting the quality of our lives, and what we allow to ensnare us can very much be a conscience issue. And so I just want to ask the question, how long will you choose to remain ensnared? Look at the first five verses of Proverbs 6. It says this, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger... If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, becoming entangled or ensnared in something is quite unpleasant. If you've ever had that happen to you, I'm sure you could recognize that it's not something that you probably enjoyed. It's unpleasant physically, it's unpleasant emotionally, and there are certain areas of ensnarement that can be very unpleasant spiritually as well. Several years ago, there was evidence that a mouse got into our house. And most homeowners eventually experience that nuisance, and so, as you'd expect, I I actually set up several traps right near where I had seen evidence of the mouse's presence, and soon after setting up those traps, I heard one of them snap, and when I went to check on it, there was the mouse. He wasn't dead, but he was caught, and at first I I thought, you know, the humane thing to do would be to take him outside and finish him off, right? Doesn't that sound so sinister? You know, just finish him off, right? (laughs) But then I made the mistake of looking at him. (laughs) And I started to feel compassion for his condition. So I'm seeing this mouse trapped, and it's in my hand, and I'm taking it outside, knowing what I have in my heart to do. And it's looking up at me, and isn't really even struggling too much. It's looking up, and it's like, hey, John, where are we going? It's like... (laughs) And I thought, all right, I can kill this mouse or I can set him free. 
And in a moment of empathy that surprised even me, I felt compelled to let him go. <laughs> and so I, I did give him a warning, though. And I, I, in my mind, I, I believe I said this out loud as I'm, as I'm remembering this. And I, I, I warned him that this was a one-time pass. <laughs> and if I saw him again, the meeting was going to end differently. And I let him go, and he lived, and he didn't come back. So, win-win, right? Everybody, you know, probably a bird came by and took care of what I didn't have the courage to do. I don't know. But like a mouse in a trap, it's very easy for you and I to become ensnared in unhealthy and unwise things during the course of our lives. It happens to us very, very easily. It's happened to me in multiple occasions that I could think of over the course of my life, even in my adult life. And I'm sure it's happened to you as well. And when you look at what Solomon says here in this uh, passage of Scripture, you have Solomon describing somebody who has become ensnared. And specifically, he says they become ensnared because they put up security for their neighbor. Now, what, is, what does he mean by that? What's he talking about when he says they put up security for their neighbor? Well, in modern terms, this would be the same concept as, as co-signing a loan. That's the idea that's being discussed here. It's the idea of co-signing a loan, taking responsibility for somebody else's financial debts. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I will tell you as an uncertified financial advisor, right, it's not a good idea. You, you, it, don't do that. Now, I have done that, all right? I'm telling you as somebody who has done that. I have done that in the past. I don't plan on doing that ever again. That's not something I'm going to do ever again. It rarely ends well, most often what happens is you become liable of the debts of some, liable uh, for the debts of somebody else, or you're, you're forced to spend years worried about whether or not they will actually pay for those things. Now, again, I have done that, and I'm sure some of you have done that. Maybe some of you have even recently done that. But when you look at what's being challenged, uh, or what we're being challenged to understand here in Proverbs chapter 6, it's encouraging us, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't become ensnared in that particular way. Solomon's counsel here is to do everything you can to get out of that kind of arrangement because it's a trap that ensnares you. Do whatever you can to ethically get out of it. If you're in it, do whatever you can to ethically get out of it if you can. But I want to talk about something bigger than just the concept of co-signing alone because I think there's an application here to even bigger issues than financial matters. And, you know, because again, while pledges can ensnare us, right, while making, you know, a pledge for the security of somebody else can ensnare us, financial security, these aren't the only things in life that tend to trap us. I think frequently we're enticed by our temptations, and we become ensnared in all kinds of ungodliness because these temptations are just hanging out there for us, and, and then we latch on to them, and before we know it, we're, in, we're just entrapped or ensnared or entangled in whatever they may be, and these are the type of things that the Lord does not want us to remain in, ensnared in. And so one of the things that I'm quite thankful about is the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ looks at us with compassion. And as he looks at us with compassion and he sees the things that you and I are just tempted at times to become ensnared in or entangled with, he looks at us and he offers us freedom from our entanglements through faith in him. And as he blesses us with that freedom, he also reminds us not to return to our previous traps. 
He's encouraging us, don't go back to what you've already been freed from. A trapped life is not a quality life. An entangled life is not a quality life. I love what Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, reminding us of these things. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the things that Christ has already set you free from. Don't invite something into your life that's really just a snare. It's just there to entangle you. It's just something that's an area of temptation that doesn't belong in your life. And since Christ has already set you free from it, if you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you're set free from those things. Those things that had ensnared you spiritually and emotionally. Things that were, that were sinful and unhealthy and unwise. He set you free from those things. So there's no need to go back to it. But sometimes those things look tempting still. And what Scripture does is it, it holds these things up to the light and it shows us the downside of what happens when we give in to those areas of temptation. And Scripture reveals to us that Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Meaning, He has set you and I free to live a life that is not tangled up with the sin that we were once ensnared by. And so Scripture encourages us, stand firm. You don't have to go back to your old traps. Stand firm now. Live your life in Christ. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery because Christ has set you free. Well, the Scripture goes on to talk about a few other things as well. And it talks about this idea of work. And the way we'll phrase this, we'll ask this as a question, but when you think about what motivates you to work, I want you to be asking the question, are you internally or externally motivated to work? Because Solomon transitions the conversation as he's talking about this idea of living by, by our conscience. And our, our conscience is going to impact the way in which we work, the way in which we do our labor. Are you internally or externally motivated to work? Look at what it says in Proverbs 6, starting with verse 6, and I'll read down to verse 11. It says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest." How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, I can guess your uh, impression of rodents based on some of your uh, expressions as I was telling you about that, mo that mouse that I caught. Curious what your impression of insects happens to be. I don't know if you like them or if they tend to give you the creeps, but this passage definitely, wow, some of you are like shivering. I saw several of you go like this, so apparently insects give you the creeps. I have to tell you, my appreciation of ants increases every time I reread this portion of Scripture because we're, we're told here that they provide an excellent example of the kind of work ethic that the Lord wants to develop within us. And here we're told that ants, they make preparations with an eye toward the future. So they're thinking about the future. They're looking forward to what is needed, and they make preparations with an eye toward the future. So they gather what they need. They do the right thing without having to be directly instructed continually, and they don't waste their days in a slothful manner. Now, on the other hand, this world is filled with many people who have been created in the image of God and yet they choose to sleep away the time that they could be using to make a meaningful contribution with their life. 
And Solomon here tells us that excessive slumber and laziness lead to poverty. And I'm sure that we could all think of examples of that that we've seen play out in the lives of people we know. In fact, just recently I asked my father for an update on somebody that I remember from my youth. And this is somebody that I remember my father helping out quite regularly when I was in sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade. I remember my father doing quite a few things to help this individual out. It's been quite a long time now, and so I just asked him. He came to my mind, and I asked my father the other day. I said, Dad, what happened to him? You know, what happened to him? I know you were trying to help him out back then. What happened to him? And he said, well, after getting hired for an entry-level job, he decided to just stop showing up. He just stopped showing up. And now, he, I said, well, what's he doing now? And he said, well, now he just primarily sits in his apartment, drinking a lot of beer, watching a lot of TV, and always coming up with creative ways to convince the government to fund his lazy lifestyle even though he is fully capable of working. And I thought, interesting. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, well, in one sense, I I think, you know, you could see how somebody would say, yeah, I mean, just sitting around, drinking beer, watching TV, not having any responsibilities, having somebody else foot the bill for my life. I could see why somebody might say, all right, that would be appealing. But at the end of the day, would that not trouble your conscience to know that you could do something and you were choosing not to, that you could make a meaningful contribution in the lives of other people, and you were choosing not to do so, that this was a matter of choice. There are people that find themselves in a desperate spot, and it's not a matter of choice, and they would love to have the option to be able to do something different, and they don't have that option. But to have the option and to not take advantage of it, And so when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, and even when I think of an example like that from that individual from you know, from my past, think to myself, all right, are you motivated to do what the Lord has called you to do? And I think this is something we should all be wrestling with. Are you motivated to do what the Lord's called you to do? Are we using our time? Are we using our talents? Are we using our energy in accordance with His calling on our lives? Because He does indeed have a calling on each and every one of us. Our lives, we have a calling that the Lord has given to us. And He doesn't want us to waste our days avoiding that calling and focusing on our distractions and just going through life basically abdicating His call on our lives. I love what we're told in Colossians chapter 3 about this very subject. And Colossians chapter 3 has a direct impact on how I try to go about my day-to-day life. I know none of us does this perfectly, but I think it's something that we should have in our minds when we even think about Solomon's example here of an ant that's doing what he needs to do without somebody telling him constantly to do it. And Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, it says this, "'Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward.'" You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, I want you to think about that statement. Because I remember one of my pastors saying something about that when I was growing up. And he said, you know, when I used to look at this, he said, I I used to think about this primarily through the the lens of ministry vocations. He said, I used to think, before I was a pastor, I used to think about the fact that, you know, that would be a, a high calling if the Lord placed that upon my life. And then he thought, well, you know what? Even higher than that are those that, that say, I will, I will submit myself to a calling to serve in, in mission work 
in, in a variety of places. And, and so he elevated those two things, and then he came back to this and was studying this and was thinking about this, and he said, that's not really what it's getting at. It's saying, whatever the Lord calls you to do, whatever it is, the Lord intentionally does not call us all to do the same exact thing. Every one of us has a role to play, and I've, one of the things I've become so convinced of over the course of my life is the fact that the Lord intentionally puts people in different industries and in different fields and in different professions because He wants an ambassador there. He wants an ambassador in the world of mortgages and real estate. He wants an ambassador in the school district. He wants an ambassador in the insurance field. He wants an ambassador in politics. He wants an ambassador over here. He wants an ambassador over there. He wants somebody to preach. He also wants somebody to, to do foreign mission work. But he puts his ambassadors in all different fields. And what the Scripture is actually telling us is, listen, whatever you do, whatever it is, whatever single, you know, if it's, if it's contracting work, if it's retail work, if it's restaurant work, whatever it is, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. Not for men, for the Lord knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever you're doing, taking care of children, providing counseling, helping with social needs, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, helping other people for Christ's glory, recognizing that in whatever sphere the Lord has placed you, you serve there as His ambassador. You're His ambassador wherever He places you. And work for His glory. Stay motivated to honor Him in whatever vocation or area of service that we commit ourselves to. We need to do so with the understanding that we're serving Christ. He's the one we're seeking to honor. And Solomon here, again, you know, as he's talking about this idea of what motivates us to serve. Some people are externally motivated. I actually put this question out on Facebook the other day about what motivates you to do what you do for a living. And we all have different motives for what we do. But our, the highest motive, ultimately, is that we would glorify Christ in wherever He has given us the opportunity and the privilege to serve. Well, Solomon goes on a little bit further here. And again, he's talking about this idea of what does it look like to live with, with a conscience that impacts the day-to-day -day quality of your life. And one of the things that he's talking about here is this idea of, of just being an honest person. And so the way I'll phrase the question is, can you be trusted to shoot straight? Now, even before I read this here, are there some people in your life that you truly appreciate because you know that no matter what you ask of them, they're going to shoot straight with you? Meaning, if you, I'll, I'll use my family as an example. My extended family is a great example of what it means to shoot straight. If I show up at a family event and I'm wearing something that doesn't match, they're not going to just think it. They will say it. They will directly say it. You know, if it looks like I've put on a few pounds since the last time I saw them. Unfortunately, they will directly say it as well. You know, whatever it is, they will say it. If I park my car poorly in front of one of their houses, they will say, you know what? Do you ever take a driving exam, John? Do you ever realize that you're only supposed to be a few inches away from the curb, not a full foot? That is my family. I feel like I can trust them to shoot straight. And sometimes when people in your life shoot straight, you don't really want to hear it. But isn't it a blessing when people in your life actually are that honest with you and love you enough to tell you the truth? And one of the things that the Lord desires that we do as people that are His followers, as those who bear His name, is that we be people who shoot straight, that we be honest in all areas of our lives. And the way Solomon brings it up here in Proverbs 6, starting with verse 12, he says it this way, and it's very strong language, but he says, a worthless person, 
A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet. Do you try and picture that? Signals with his feet, like some sort of like code, you know, signaling with your feet. Like, what does it mean? Like, oh, he's signaling. He's, he's got a sign for his, his comrade over here. If I tap twice, that means steal their purse, you know? Signals with his feet, but points with his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Now, something that's become very clear throughout the course of my life is the fact that truth always comes to the surface. It always comes to the surface. Eventually, sometimes you have to be patient. I, I know at times I felt frustrated with people that, that I, could, I truly believed were operating dishonestly or in a shady manner. But one of the things that the Lord has, has shown me over time is that if you just wait long enough, it comes out. The truth always comes out. The Lord makes it apparent. He brings the truth to light. The scripture tells us there's nothing that's hidden that's not ultimately going to come to the light. The Lord's going to bring it all to the light. Every single thing that mankind thinks we have hidden from God and hidden from each other, it's all going to come to the light. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to be truth bearers. And since our words and our deeds impact the impression other people have of Him, I think we should be mindful of the spiritual implications of our actions. Jesus instructed us, when you look at what He says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you read in Matthew chapter 5, He instructed us to speak honestly, with a yes that means yes, and with a no that means no. And to do anything different, if we do anything different than that, that actually demonstrates that we're deficient in our understanding of the holiness, the holiness of God, and we're deficient in our understanding of His calling on our lives to walk in holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about that specifically. Now, when you look at what Solomon says here, Solomon speaks to this issue as well, and he tells us that a person who seeks to be of no value to others, they demonstrate their deficient character through, do, through dishonesty. They don't shoot straight. They are not honest. Their words are nothing but doublespeak. Even their body language communicates deception. But eventually, when the truth comes to light, such a person will be utterly destroyed if they don't repent of their unbelief and its obvious fruit. Several years ago, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, to travel with a few different ministry leaders, and one of the ministry leaders pulled me aside, and he was telling me a variety of details about something that was going on, and it was making my head spin because it was a lot of details to keep track of. And then later that evening... One of the other leaders said to me, what did he tell you? And, uh, and I explained what he told me, and he said, yeah, just so you know, it's the opposite of everything he just said. And I said, but he clearly told me this. And he said, yeah, I know, he does that because he always likes to put a positive light on things that are very negative. And, and I said, well, okay, but that left me with the opposite impression of what you're telling me. And he said, that, that's correct. And so what did I learn in that moment? I learned, one, do not trust anything that that other guy ever says in anything. I, so I don't trust what that guy says. If somebody would tell me something directly to my face, and it would be the exact opposite. And then I also wondered, when does this come around to negatively impact him in his day-to-day -day life and in his opportunity to do ministry? And you know what's happened since that time? That was only several years ago. 
he's now lost his opportunity to do ministry because he lost all credibility. If people can't believe the things that you say, even in a private conversation, you will lose your opportunities. It eventually comes to light. And here you have Solomon describing the, the, the fact that somebody is going to be utterly destroyed if their life is just full of double speak, if they can't be trusted to shoot straight. We, of all people, should be trusted or able to be trusted to shoot straight. If something comes out of your mouth, if something comes out of my mouth, it should never be double speak. It should not be deception. It should not be dishonesty. We need to recognize that not only do we work as unto the Lord, but our conscience needs to be strong enough that we speak as unto the Lord, that we glorify the Lord with our words, that the things that we say reflect the fact that our yes is yes and our no is no, because in Christ we find honesty and He makes us honest people. And one last thing that Solomon brings up here in in Proverbs chapter 6 in the first section here that I want to focus on as we finish up, and that's this. When you look at verses 16 down to 19, there in this portion of Scripture, he gives us the opportunity to kind of wrestle with a thought that we can either be people who, who make life better or we can make life bitter. So are you someone who makes life bitter or do you make life better? And he gives us examples here of what that looks like. When you look at Proverbs 6, starting with verse 16 down to verse 19, and this is where we'll finish today, it says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and who sows discord among brothers. So again, as this portion of Proverbs 6 is concluding, you have Solomon sharing basically here a summary of things that the Lord detests. And we're told here that he despises all forms of deception. He despises all forms of injustice and wickedness and division. These are actions and attitudes that reflect the motives of Satan. They don't reflect the heart of Christ. So as Satan was cast away from the Lord's presence, so too will those who persist in their rebellion and their unbelief. If they they persist in the rebellion and the unbelief of Satan, they show that Christ is not Lord of their life. They show that Christ is not Lord of their heart. But as followers of Christ, we've been blessed with a much greater option. So instead of making the lives of other people bitter, we have the privilege, we have the opportunity as people who have been empowered to do so to make people's lives better as the power of the Holy Spirit is accomplished and, 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 and working, uh, just working itself out throughout the course of our lives. As He works Himself, as He works His power out throughout the course of your life and throughout the course of my life, we actually have the opportunity to make people's lives better, not bitter. True quality of life is found through Jesus Christ. And we're graced with the blessing of investing that quality in the lives of those we interact with. And as I read this portion of the book of Proverbs, it seems very clear to me that the Lord is encouraging us to be people who, main, who, who basically just maintain a conscience that's sensitive to His guidance and sensitive to His wisdom. And as we do so, what ends up happening is we experience a greater quality of life and we find ourselves positioned to contribute to the quality of life of others in a Christ-centered manner. Earlier this week, I'll finish up with this. Earlier this week, I I received a phone call from uh, someone that I've known for a long time. And I won't go into the details of the call other than to say 
that there was somebody in his life, you know, when you look at what, what's stated here, one of the things that it tells us that, that uh, the Lord despises, that the Lord hates, uh, is, is this idea of sowing discord among brothers. And uh, this, this friend of mine called me up earlier this week, and, and he was just telling me about a context that he's dealing with, where someone in his day-to-day life is sowing discord in, in his particular life context. And do you ever get a phone call that you think that the person is calling to ask your advice on something, but really they're just calling to vent? And I realized at first, or at first I thought I was there to give advice, and then I realized, no, I'm just here to listen. And so it was one of those phone calls where I thought, all right, I'm just here to listen. But what I heard in my friend's voice was sadness and brokenness because somebody in his life was now sowing discord that was causing division with him and several other people. And I think to myself, what, a, what an obvious example of what it's talking about here in Proverbs chapter 6, because we all have the same opportunity. And it's an opportunity to make people's lives bitter. You can make people's lives bitter if you want. You can sow discord. You plant that seed here and there. You can hurt other people if you choose to with your words, with your actions. But obviously, that's not Christ's desire for us. It's not to sow discord. We're, we're not called to make people's lives even more bitter. By the grace of God, as, as our quality of life improves through faith in Christ, we have the opportunity to, just with the overflow of that, to invest that overflow in the lives of other people and help them understand what it means to live in a Christ-centered manner. And as our faith matures and our conscience grows stronger, to continue to say yes to the Lord, even when this world is throwing things in our face that we want to say yes to at times, but we realize that saying yes to Christ is always better than saying yes to the things of this world. And so we have the privilege to live this out. You have Solomon challenging his readers to understand these things, and he, he shows it from different angles, this idea of living by conscience, this idea of, of, of ultimately submitting our conscience over to the Lord and then living out what it means to have genuine faith in Him. But even though this portion of Scripture was written a long time ago, you and I have the privilege as men and women who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to put these very same things into practice. Your conscience will impact the quality of your life. If you listen to the Lord's direction, the quality of your life will improve, even in the midst of seasons of testing and trial. And I believe that the overflow of that is going to impact the quality of of, of the lives of those that you have the privilege to interact with as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together and think about it. Lord, there's just so much wise counsel when we read through the book of Proverbs that Lord, in some respects, it looks like we're talking about all different topics. But even when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, we just bring it right back to the fact that ultimately you're calling us to be people who have a sensitive conscience, a conscience that's sensitive to your leading, a conscience that's sensitive to your direction. And you invite us as you empower us through your Holy Spirit to be obedient to you. So we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as we're indwelled with your Holy Spirit, we're empowered to walk by faith, we know that that has an impact on our quality of life. We know that it has an impact on the quality of life of those that we have the privilege to interact with. And we just pray, Lord, that whatever we do, whatever it is, whether we think it's the most menial activity or the most grand activity, that whatever it is, that we would say, all right, Lord, this is the task you've given to me today. I pray that I would glorify you in it. So whether it's preaching a sermon or whether it's visiting a a foreign land, 
or whether it's working in a machine shop or whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that we would do so for your glory as unto you so that your name would be honored, so that your name would be lifted up, so that others would have a glimpse of what it means to know you and be transformed completely by you. So again, Lord, we're grateful for this portion of your word. We're grateful that you've given it to us today to be able to reflect on and to be able to think upon. And uh, Lord, we pray that by your grace that we would live it out. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.